Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Galatians. We invite you to join us at One Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day.
Thanks, Britt. That was beautiful. How's everybody doing tonight, okay? It's good to see everybody come out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Let's start off with a smile from everybody. We're all alive today. The Lord is good, right? Amen. He provides for us each and every day. Thank you, Jesus, for always being faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to Him. Because you can't deny who He is. Amen? All right, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, start off tonight. We're going to be starting a new book, and I'm not telling you what it is yet. The Holy Spirit is going to be taking over as I go into the Scriptures, so please be attentive to that and prepare your hearts for the message. We'll be using the black Bibles in the pews this evening. Romans chapter 8. Yeah, we're going to go a little bit, a little further back here tonight. Go with me to verse 28. Oh, yeah. Come on now. I was going to go all the way to 1, but then we'd be the whole, the whole head up to start the study in Roman. <laughs> okay, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So the Bible tells us that God causes all things to work together for good. But there's a condition attached to that. For those that are loved, who love God and are called according to His purpose. How about an amen for that? For God knew his people in advance. Look at verse 29. And he chose them to become like his son. Why did God save us? So we could become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing... He gave them His glory. Nothing can separate us from God's love. There's a big amen there. Nothing. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else, right? He gave us his one and only son as a sacrifice so we could have life eternally forever. And it says, won't he also give us everything else? What more can someone give you than his child? Their child is a sacrifice. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Now the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And it says, who dares accuse us? The devil is always accusing us of failing as Christians. Always trying to accuse us, but God does not see that anymore. God sees his son in each and every one of us, and we also have to see that in each and every one of us, and we also have to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen? The accuser is always accusing us, always. And, it, and, it, and it's all, not only working in our minds, the accuser works in other people to accuse us too. He works through people, places, and things. 
No. Look at it says. No one. No one can accuse us, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. <clears throat> Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus is always pleading our case. He's our advocate before the Father. Now look at verse 35. This is something we have to really understand as Christians. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The devil tries to use this against us all the time. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? As a matter of fact, when you become a Christian in this world, you are going to have trouble and calamity because we're living in the devil's world. So does that mean he doesn't love us? No, of course he loves us. He gives us the power to overcome that. Or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, all these things that come into our mind and all these things that happen to us, Overwhelming, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. How about a big amen for that? And I am convinced, and I hope you are too, because the Apostle Paul was convinced when he said this, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Are you convinced of that, brothers and sisters? I hope you are. And don't let the devil tell you <clears throat> anything different. Neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. All of us have fears and worries. But that can't separate us from his love. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below and indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about a big amen to that? Now when it says is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, means what God that is revealed in the word of God. That's what it means, in the word of God. So nothing can ever separate us from him. We're locked in. Heaven is our home. He loves us unconditionally. Even though we can't, we don't, God is not a feeling. God is not an emotion. God is a fact. He loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's with you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And he's with you every step of the way. And the Bible says he goes out ahead of you every day. And he says he'll give you the power to say no to the devil and yes to Jesus. Amen. To his way. Something we could never do before. Out of the flesh and into the spirit. That's our process of sanctification. There's only one person in the room that knows what book and she ended up getting in there. My wife found out. She went right at it, right? I, I almost changed it. But I said, no, God called me to, to teach this book tonight. And we are going to go in the book of Galatians tonight. We're going in the book of Galatians, brothers and sisters. Just remind you, this is a Bible study, not a sermon. We are going to be studying the word of God verse by verse, line upon line. How about an amen for that? We're going to get a good understanding of the book of Galatians. 
and what it's all about, I have to lay some groundwork first before we get into chapter 1, okay? So listen up. Prepare your hearts. The blueprint. A family, okay, executing their carefully planned escape at midnight, dashing for the border, a man standing outside prison walls, gulping fresh air, a wash in a new sun, a young woman with every trace of the ravaging drugs gone from her system. They are free. With fresh anticipation, they can begin life anew. Whether fleeing oppression, stepping out of prison, or breaking a strangling habit, freedom means life. There is nothing so exhilarating as knowing that the past is forgotten and that new options await. People yearn to be free. The book of Galatians is the charter of Christian freedom. In this profound letter, Paul proclaims the reality of our liberty in Christ, freedom from the law and the power of sin, and freedom to serve our living Lord. A person Is a person saved by faith alone or by a combination of faith plus works? Paul's letter to the Galatians proclaims that salvation is through faith alone. It also emphasizes freedom in Christ to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that our relationship with God is not based on our performance, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. How about a big amen for that? So we are truly free, not to serve our sin nature, but to love and serve our Lord and others. Most of the first converts and early leaders in the church were Jewish Christians who proclaimed Jesus as their Messiah. As Jewish Christians, they struggled with a dual identity. Okay, Their Jewishness constrained them to be strict followers of the law. Their newfound faith in Christ invited them to celebrate a holy liberty. They wondered how Gentiles, or non-Jews, could be part of the kingdom of heaven. This controversy tore the early church. Okay? Tore the early church. Judaizers, an extremist Jewish faction within the church, taught that Gentile Christians had to submit to Jewish laws and traditions in addition to believing in Christ. As a missionary to the Gentiles, Paul had to confront this issue many, many times. Galatians was written, therefore, to refute the Judaizers and to call believers back to the pure gospel. The good news is for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. How about an amen for that? Faith in Christ means true freedom. After a brief introduction, Paul addresses those who were accepting the Judaizers' perverted gospel. He summarizes the controversy included his personal confrontation with Peter and other church leaders. He then demonstrates that salvation is by faith alone, by alluding to his conversion, appealing to his readers' own experience of the gospel, and showing how the Old Testament teaches 
about grace. Next, he explains the purpose of God's laws in the relationship between law, God's promises, and Christ. Christ's liberty. We are saved by faith, not by keeping the law. Our freedom means that we are free to love and serve one another, not to do wrong. And Christians should carry each other's burdens and be kind to each other. Paul takes the pen into his own hand and shares his final thoughts. As you read Galatians with me, try to understand this first century conflict between grace and law, or faith and deeds, but also be aware of modern parallels. Okay, Like Paul, defend the truth of the gospel and reject all those who would add to or twist this truth. You are free in Christ. Step into the light and celebrate. Hey, step into the light, right? Show up on Monday. Step right in it. Vital statistics. To refute the Judaizers who taught the Gentile believers must obey the Jewish law in order to be saved and to call Christians to faith and freedom in Christ. The author is Paul. Original audience were the churches in southern Galatia founded on Paul's first missionary journey including Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. The date written it was approximately A.D. 49 from Antioch prior to the Jerusalem Council, A.D. 50. The setting, the most pressing controversy in the early church was the relationship of new believers, particularly Gentiles, to the Jewish laws. This was especially a problem for the converts and for the young churches that Paul had founded on his first missionary journey, okay? Paul wrote to correct this problem. Later, at the council in Jerusalem, the conflict was officially resolved by the church leaders. One of the key verses, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. The key people in Galatians were Paul, Peter, Barnabas, Titus, Abraham, and false teachers. The key places, Galatia, Jerusalem, features this letter is not addressed to any specific body of believers and was probably circulated to several churches in Galatia. Okay? Authenticity of the gospel is the blueprint, superiority of the gospel, freedom of the gospel, in response to attacks from false teachers, Paul wrote to defend his apostleship and the authority of the gospel. Okay? The Galatians were beginning to turn from faith to legalism. The struggle between the gospel and legalism is still a relevant issue today. Yes, <clears throat> many today would have us return to trying to earn God's favor through following rituals or obeying a set of rules. As Christians, we are not boxed in, but set free. Thank you, Jesus. To preserve our freedom, we must stay close to Christ, which is the word, and resist any who promote subtle ways for us to earn our salvation. Now, you amen for that. Okay. Let us start in Galatians chapter 1.
Galatians chapter 1. Before we go there, one more thing I want to say and explain to you. We become Christians through the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember that. He brings new life, even our faith to believe, is a gift from God. The Holy Spirit instructs, guides, leads, and gives us power. He ends our bondage to evil desires, and he creates in us love, joy, peace, and many other wonderful changes. Amen? The importance of that, when the Holy Spirit leads us, he produces his fruit in us. Just as we are saved by faith, not deeds, we also grow by faith. By believing, we can have the Holy Spirit within us, helping us to live for Christ, obey Christ by following the Holy Spirit's leading. How about a big amen for that? And that's just what we're doing in this church. This church is run by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. This is a Spirit-led ministry. Okay, Galatians chapter 1. Is everybody there? Does everybody have their Bibles ready? Here we go. I'm just getting warmed up with you now. There's a lot in this verse for us, so I'm going to expand on it right after I read it, okay? Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul. Who wrote, who wrote Galatians? Oh, wow. Very good. An apostle. So we know that Paul wrote Galatians and that Paul is an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people, listen to this one, or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself. He was the only one that saw the risen Christ, the Apostle Paul. He's the one that the Lord gave him instructions, not people. And by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, now let me expand on this a little bit before we go on. This is important. Paul and Barnabas had just completed their first missionary journey. Okay? It tells us in Acts 13, verse 2 to 14. They had visited Iconia, Lystra, and Derbe, cities in the Roman province of Galatia, that's present-day Turkey. Upon returning to Antioch, Paul was accused by some Jewish Christians of deluding Christianity to make it more appealing to the Gentiles. These Jewish Christians disagreed with Paul's statements that Gentiles did not have to follow many of the religious laws that the Jews had obeyed for centuries. Some of Paul's accusers had even followed him to those Galatian cities and had told the Gentile converts that they had to be circumcised and follow all the Jewish laws and customs in order to be saved. According to these people, Gentiles had to first become Jews in order to become Christians. In this response to this threat, Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches. In it, he explains that following the Old Testament laws or the Jewish laws will not bring salvation. A person is saved by grace through faith. Paul wrote this letter about A.D. 49, shortly before the meeting of the Jerusalem Council, which settled the law versus grace controversy in Acts 15, 1-1. Paul explained his apostleship in these words, not to separate himself from the original twelve, but to show that his apostleship rested on the same basis as theirs. If the believers in Galatia questioned Paul's apostleship, 
then they also should question the apostleship of Peter, John, James, and all the others. And such questioning would be absurd. All the apostles were called by Jesus Christ and God the Father, and they answered to God as their final authority. Okay? Verse 2. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Okay, in Paul's time, Galatian, Galatia was a Roman province located in the center section of present-day Turkey. Okay, much of the region rests on a large and fertile plateau. Okay, and large numbers of people had moved to the region because of its favorable agriculture. Okay, one of Paul's goals during his missionary journeys was to visit regions with large population centers in order to reach as many people as possible. Paul always looked for where we could get to the most people. Paul was led by the spirit, not the flesh. Because if he was led by the flesh, he'd never go to jail and be hungry and destitute and all the things that happened to him when he was on his missions. Because the flesh doesn't like any of that stuff. The flesh doesn't want to go to prison. The flesh doesn't want to go hungry. The flesh doesn't want to do anything that makes it uncomfortable. The spirit always makes the flesh uncomfortable. Can I get any men for this? That's why the spirit kills off the flesh. <laughs> All right, verse 3. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. How many of us need a lot of grace and peace tonight? Oh, thank you, Jesus. We need a lot of grace and peace, don't we? Oh, he's giving it to us right now. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Why did Jesus die? It tells us so clear right here. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned in order. How did he, why did he do it? In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. God's plan, listen now, in verse 5, all along was to save us by Jesus' death. We have been rescued from the power of this present evil world. Okay? A world ruled by Satan and full of cruelty, tragedy, temptation, and deception. Being rescued from this evil world doesn't mean that we're taken out of it but that we are no longer enslaved by it. You were saved to live for God. Does your life reflect your gratitude for being rescued? Have you transferred your loyalty from this world to Christ? That's a big question. Have you transferred your loyalty from this world, which is run by who? Satan to Christ. All right. There is only one good news. Look at verse 6 now. I am shocked, the Apostle Paul, I am shocked, he says, that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Okay, now listen up. Some people were preaching a different way. They were teaching that to be saved, Gentile believers had to follow Jewish laws and customs especially the right of circumcision. Faith in Christ was not enough. 
This message undermined the truth of the good news that salvation is a gift, not a reward for certain deeds. Jesus Christ has made this gift available to all people, not just Jews. Beware of people who say that we need more than simple faith in Christ to be saved. When people set up additional requirements for salvation, they deny the power of Christ's death on the cross. Can I get an amen for that? And that's what religion does. Religion what? Tells us that we have to add something to our faith to be saved. Now, all we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and we're getting saved. What we do after is the fruit of our salvation, not the condition of it. We are saved because Jesus died for us, because we could never save ourselves. Good works do not save you. Good works are just an afterproduct of salvation. Good, we, we do good works because we are saved, not to get saved, because our salvation was never based on performance. Because we can never perform for God. Jesus performed for us. And, it, and it doesn't, it's not based on our performance to stay saved, like some, like some places will tell you. You stay saved by believing in Jesus, not by following a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules. Can I get an amen for this? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts us into salvation so we can grow. Now look what it says in verse 7. This is why we read the Bible, because the Bible makes sure that we don't fall into these traps. Look what it says in verse 7. That's why we read it right through. We don't jump around. We keep it in its context so we can understand it. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And right In verse 7, there is only one way given to us by God to be forgiven of sin. And that's by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. How about an amen for that? No person, method, or ritual can give us eternal life. Attempting to be open-minded and tolerant, some people assert that all religions are equally valid paths to God. In a free society, people have the right to their religious opinions. But this doesn't guarantee that their ideas are right. Okay? It doesn't guarantee. God does not accept man-made religion as a substitute for faith in Jesus Christ. He has provided just one way. Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How about a big amen for that? Okay, in verse 7, those who had confused the Galatian believers and perverted, perverted the good news were zealous Jewish Christians who believed that the Old Testament practices such as circumcision and dietary restrictions were required of all believers. Because these teachers wanted to turn the Gentile Christians into Jews, they were called Judaizers. Most of the Galatian Christians were Greeks who were unfamiliar with Jewish laws and customs. The Judaizers were an extreme faction of Jewish Christians. Both groups believed in Christ, but their lifestyles differed considerably. We do not know why the Judaizers may have traveled no small distances to teach their mistaken notions to their new Gentile converts. They may have been motivated by one, a sincere wish to integrate Judaism with the new Christian faith, Two, a sincere love for their Jewish heritage. Or three, a jealous desire to destroy Paul's authority. 
Whether or not these Judaizers were sincere, their teaching threatened these new churches and had to be countered. When Paul said that their teaching twisted and changed the good news, he was not rejecting everything Jewish. He himself was a Jew who worshipped in a temple and attended the religious festivals. But he was concerned that nothing get in the way of the simple truth of his message, that salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Sometime after the letter to the Galatians was sent, Paul met with the apostles in Jerusalem to discuss this matter further, like it tells us in Acts chapter 15. Okay? Listen now. A twisting of the truth is more difficult to spot than an outright lie. That's why we need to read the Bible, okay? The Judaizers were twisting the truth about Christ, okay? They claimed to follow him, but they denied that Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient for salvation. They, there will always be people who twist the good news, okay? Either they do not understand what the Bible teaches, or they are uncomfortable with the truth as it stands, okay? How can we tell when people are twisting the truth? Before accepting the teachings of any group or religion, find out what the group teaches about Jesus Christ. If their teaching does not match the truth in God's word, then it is not true. How about a big amen for that? That's why this church is all about reading the word of God so we don't get misconcepted about the truth that sets us free. Amen? Okay, let's go to verse 8 now. Now look, what, this, is how, this is how angry this made Paul. Listen to what it says here. Freshen up a bit. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm on camera. <laughs> all right. Look what he says in verse 8. He said, let God's curse. Listen, God's curse is all the curses in the Bible. Okay? Fall on anyone, even including us, he said, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. If someone preaches a different message, God's curse is on them. I don't know why people do not fear God's curse, because I don't know about you, but I definitely wouldn't want God's curse on me. Now listen, Paul strongly denounced the Judaizers twisting the good news of Christ. He said that God's curse should fall on anyone, even an angel from heaven, okay, who came preaching a different kind of good news. If an angel came preaching another message, he would not be from heaven, no matter how he looked. Because angels come, right, as angels of light. Demons come as angels of light. Like it tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Paul warned that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's why you can get tripped up very easy in church if you do not know the word of God. Because the Satan will twist the scriptures to your own destruction. There he invoked the curse on any angel who spreads a false teaching, a fitting response to an emissary of hell. Paul extended that curse to include himself, if he should twist the good news. That's how powerful, that's how important this is. Okay? His message must never change. 
For the truth of the good news never changes. Paul used strong language because he was dealing with a life and death issue. Ready for verse 9 now? Look what it says. He said it again now. If he says it again, it must be pretty important. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Let me tell you something. When I read that, I say, you know what? I'm only going to preach what's in that book because I am not getting cursed by God. No one is stronger than God. Not no demon, no nothing else. I'm staying faithful to Jesus because the devil is not as strong and no stronger than Jesus is. Let me tell you something. I'd rather get a curse from the devil than from God because God is stronger than the devil. So he can curse us even worse. He can let the devil loose on us. No, thank you. I got enough demons chasing me every day. I don't need any more. <laughs> can I get an amen for this? Am I the only one that's getting chased by demons? No. Right. They're always trying to get in. We know what those voices are, right? You know it as well as I do. Whatever sin we fell into, the demons come after that sin and try to get us to fall back in it. And what? If you don't have faith enough in Jesus Christ, you're going to keep doing it. That's why we come here to get power. So we don't have so we don't use it so we don't get cursed by them sins anymore. And they don't cause destruction. Alright. Look what it says in verse 10. I love this. And that's why I'm up here too. Obviously, I'm not trying to win approval of people, but of God. You can guarantee that. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. There's more churches that give a gospel message to please people, and the Bible says they don't serve Christ. The churches, the synagogues of Satan everywhere that are not teaching truth. Because we're not here to please people. We're here to what? Tell people truth. And truth that sets us free. And the truth sometimes is very convicting. And it's not an easy message to preach. But guess what? I'm going to preach it. So you're going, you can be safe in that. You're going to keep getting the truth here. Because I love you. And I'm accountable to God. Let me tell you something. i got a healthy fear of God. You read the Bible and see what he can do. You'll have a healthy fear of him too. Especially if you decide to do serve him. It's a big responsibility. Now it says. In 10. Do you spend your life trying to please everybody? Now I'm going to ask you this question. Do you spend your whole life people pleasing. Trying to please everybody? Paul had to speak harshly to the Christians in Galatians. Because they were in serious danger. He did not apologize for his straightforward words. Knowing that he could not serve Christ faithfully if he allowed the Galatian Christians to remain on the wrong track. Those whose approval are you seeking? Others or God's? Pray for the courage to seek God's approval above anyone else's. Please. Hear what I'm saying? Whose approval are you seeking? Others or God's? Pray for the courage to seek God's approval over anyone else's. I pray for that all the time because I'm, I'm accountable to God. Everything that comes out of my mouth up in this pulpit is danger. It could be dangerous to someone else if it's not truth. 
And I'm going to answer for it. If you go back in the Old Testament, you used to say, Woe to you pastors who are teaching the lies to the people. They had an answer to them. And the pastors were giving them lies to get their money. And they were actually making them off of sacrifices and stealing the sacrifices from them. Telling them to keep sacrificing so they can make money off them. And there's pastors out there today that are doing the same thing. Fleecing God's people. Because they don't know the word of God and the truth. They're just trusting them. And it's sad. You won't have to worry about that here because I want you to read your Bible so you don't get deceived. And we, we offer that every which way you can get it here. Now, look what it says in verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. Okay? I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ or by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? All his messages came from God, not from people. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit. When I, this is a Holy Spirit ministry right here. When I ask the Holy Spirit, the answers to the questions, where do you want me to go? I listen to the promptings of the Spirit. That's where I get these messages from. That's how I get them. From nobody else, but from the Lord. Because I pray for them, and He gives them to me. Now, He doesn't say, John, ooh, I'm telling you to preach Galatians tonight. It doesn't work that way. He prompts your spirit. You actually, it gives you an intuition. Something comes into your mind. And that scripture comes into mind and that book comes into mind. And I say, that's the book. See, you have to understand the voices. There's the voices of God and the voices of the devil always trying to get in our heads. But you have to get stronger in spirit so you can hear the voice of God over the voice of the devil. That's why we have to grow spiritually. Okay, there are two possible meanings consistent with the grammar of the phrase Direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Number one, this was a revelation to Christ, to Paul, that spelled out the gospel message. Or two, it was a personal revelation by Christ of his true identity that suddenly confirmed the gospel message against Paul, which Paul had been bitter in bitter conflict. Within each meaning, the fact remains that God provided the revelation and its content was the gospel. Verse 13. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. Now Paul was going to give him an example of what he was like before Christ and what he was like after Christ. That's what a witness is. A witness is somebody who was uh, uh, the way they were before Christ and what Christ did and transformed their life is now you're a witness to what Jesus did. You're not a witness just by telling people about Jesus. Your witness is a changed life. If your life haven't changed, you, haven't have, you don't have a witness to anybody. If nothing happened to you, you don't, you're not witnessing anything because you haven't witnessed anything. There's a lot of false witnesses in the churches. Look what he says. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Okay, in verse 14, to be fully Jewish, okay, a person must have descended from Abraham. 
Okay? In addition, a faithful Jew adhered to the Jewish laws and traditions. Okay? Gentiles are non-Jews, whether in nationality or religion. In Paul's day, Jews thought of all Gentiles as pagans. Okay? Jews avoided Gentiles, believing that contact with Gentiles brought spiritual corruption. Although Gentiles could become Jews in religion by undergoing circumcision and by following Jewish laws and customs, they were never fully accepted. Many Jews had difficulty understanding that God's message is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Some Jews thought that Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians. But God planned to save both Jews and Gentiles. He had revealed his plan through Old Testament prophets, Genesis 12.3, Isaiah 42.6, and he had fulfilled it through Jesus Christ. He was proclaiming it to the Gentiles through Paul. Paul was the mouthpiece. Verse 15. Look what Paul's saying. He knew it before I was born. This is how good he knew it. This is how he knew Before I was even born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Before you, any of you were born, God chose you already. He already knew that you were going to accept him. Before you were even born, before the world was even created, he knew that you were going to accept him as your savior. Paul knew it. God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. And it pleased him to reveal his son to you or in me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Now listen up. Because God was guiding his ministry, Paul wasn't doing anything that God hadn't already planned and given him power to do. Similarly, God appointed Jeremiah to be his prophet. Okay, God had called him even before Jeremiah was born to do special work for God. Jeremiah 1. Okay, five. God knows you intimately as well, and he chose you to be his even before you were born. Remember the homework I gave you? Psalm 139. How was that? Such a coincidence, wasn't it? No, it's tied right into this. He wants you to draw close to him and to fulfill the purpose he has for your life. We draw close to God by fellowshipping with each other, and by reading the word of God, and that's how you find your purpose for your life, his purpose for your life. By fellowshipping with other believers, belonging to a body of believers, a church that's teaching the truth, and in time, he will reveal his gift to you, and what your position is in Christ, and how you can serve him. That's what you do. You have to you gotta get anchored, though. You've got to anchor and rooted in the word of God. And you've got to be asking, Lord, please show me what my gift is. Use me. You have to ask for that. It's not something that just comes. You have to, Lord, I want to know what my gift is. I want to serve you. Use me. If you're not asking for that, you're not going to get it. You have to ask for it. A lot of people say, I don't know what my gift is. Well, are you asking God what it is? Lord, show me what my gift is. I'm going to follow you till you show me. That's what you have to do. Keep following Jesus, and he will show you what your gift is. It's a big amen there, right? He saved you for a purpose, and, you need, and it's up to you to find what it is. And it's not for yourself, that's for sure. Your purpose is for his purposes, not yours. 
<laughs> I love it. Okay. When it said when this happened, I didn't rush off to consult with any human being. Okay. Look what it says here in 16. We're in the flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to, into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, or Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Look at verse 19. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. So we already know that Paul was not lying about what he was saying. Because he says, I declare before God. And Paul met God. Remember on the road to Damascus? He met God face to face. He's the only one that met Jesus in the third heaven. He went up there. He's the only apostle that did. So that's why, listen, when you become, when God calls you to do something, he gives you a lot of revelation because you're going to have to handle a lot of persecution and problems. That's why Paul had to see that because he had to go through so much to pen in 13 epistles of the Bible. He had to see that evidence in order for him to stay on track or he would have gave up. Getting persecuted, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, no food, no nothing, no clothes, no anything to keep proclaiming the truth because he knew what he saw and he knew what God wanted him to do. And he couldn't deny it because he saw it with his own eyes. And when you decide to serve God, he will reveal things to you that he doesn't reveal to everybody else because you're going to go on a mission that is not easy. Believe me, as I've been doing this, this is not easy. This is something you have to be called to do. It's not something that you choose to do. Because it, it's, it's crazy, it's impossible, it's unbearable in the flesh to even handle it, which you have to handle in ministry. And that's why people quit. Because they were sent, they, were, they went, but they weren't sent. There's no such thing as retirement in the Bible. Paul didn't retire. None of them retired. They died, that was their retirement. They served them till they died. So when you decide to serve God, you're in it till you go home to be with him. There's no such thing as retiring. When you do retire, that means you die. That's your retirement. So, until I drop dead, I'm not stopping. I'm not retiring. <laughs> because that's what the Bible tells me. Amen, I'm following Jesus. That's the way it goes. I already made a commitment to him. I'm all in. Okay? Now, look what it says in verse 21. After that visit, I went north into the province of Syria and Cilicia. Oh, I get that right. Okay, in verse 21, because of the opposition in Jerusalem, Paul had gone to Syria and Cilicia. In those remote areas, he had no opportunity to receive instruction from the apostles. Okay, in verse 22, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew, listen what they knew about Paul now, listen to this. All they knew that the people were saying, the one who used to be like the devil or persecute us is now preaching the very faith 
He tried to destroy. He was a completely different person. As a matter of fact, his name was Saul. His name was, he was so different, they called him Paul after. That's how the conversion is. Let me ask you this. Are you any different than you were before you came? That's how you know if you're saved. You know if you're saved, you're not the same person anymore. God changes you completely. You're no longer like you used to be. Now you just like to follow him to come hell or high water. That's how the people remember Paul. The guy that used to be killing us is now preaching about us. It's about Jesus now. That's how you know. Is your life changed by what you've received? That's what salvation is. A changed life. Amen for this? That's how you know if you really do have salvation. All right, we're going to have to stop there. It's 8 o'clock. Thank you for letting me share that. We will pick up in verse 23 when we get back together again. We are going to stand... Oh, we're going to close, and we are going to watch a video. David, you want to come up and close us tonight? We bow our heads. Lord Almighty, thank you for the privilege to come before your throne tonight to hear a portion of your word, Lord. Thank you for the bountiful wisdom that your word gives us all, Lord. I pray that you plant the seed within our hearts and allow for that seed to grow, germinate, the seed of faith, just so we can constantly stay rooted in your word, understand what you mean throughout the Bible. Thank you for the inspired message tonight, Lord. I pray for its wisdom to be granted inside of all of us, Lord. So we can walk with the fact that we know that nothing can separate us from you, Lord. And that you are God. That Jesus died for us. And nothing else needs to be added to or taken away from the gospel, Lord. Yes. That is the truth, and you've given us the truth. And we're just so honored and grateful for such a privilege, Lord. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.